This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you. Coming up uh, after 2.30, we'll talk about uh, a made-in-Canada vaccine candidate and also a Canadian company uh, that's partnered to manufacture that vaccine. So I, I think Canadians have been looking to hear more on that front. So we'll talk about uh, this uh, arrangement with these two companies, where they're at, and why Canada maybe doesn't have more presence in this field. So that's coming up after 2.30. Uh, off the top in this hour, though, a conversation about science and misinformation. I think certainly this pandemic has illustrated uh, that there are consequences to misinformation, both in terms of making this pandemic worse or potentially making it even longer. And fighting misinformation, that's, uh, that's a big challenge. Uh, so maybe you need a big response. This week, a new national coalition of independent scientists and communicators uh, have launched a campaign to fight COVID-19, and vaccine misinformation. It's called Science Up First. You can read more at scienceupfirst.com. Uh, joining us to talk more about this effort, uh, one of the founders of it, uh, Timothy Caulfield, Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy at the University of Alberta, also professor, the Faculty of Law and in the School of Public Health, and director, research director of the Health Law Institute. Professor Caulfield, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on, Rob. So tell us a bit more then about uh, the background on this and, and why there was kind of an impetus for this in the first place. Well, you, you touched on it in your intro. Uh, misinformation has just become an incredible problem. You could say it's one of the defining characteristics of this time is the spread uh, of misinformation, and of course, particularly in the context of, of COVID, and increasingly so in the context of COVID, the COVID vaccine. So we, we wanted to create an initiative that tackled this problem and and went to the source. Now, there is a growing body of evidence that it is largely, not entirely, but largely a social media phenomenon. So what we wanted to do, and this is an evidence-informed strategy, we wanted to flood, we want to flood social media with the good content, right? We want to get the good, credible information on, on social media. And in order to do that, we want to recruit everyone, we want to recruit everyone. We want to get tens of thousands of people to help us amplify the good, the good, credible, science-informed information, starting with COVID. But we kind of hope that this will take on a life of its own, you know, science up first, and it'll be a movement that, that lives, lives beyond the pandemic. So I mentioned, uh, you know, the website. There's also a hashtag that, that people can use. So talk about how you're, you're mounting this effort. And I mean, is, is this about trying to crowd out uh, the nonsense or, or what do you hope the impact is going to be? So, yeah, we do want to, I don't know if crowding out, it's, you know, because it's near impossible, right? Because it's sure. just such an incredible, you know, ecosystem, information ecosystem. Uh, but yes, we do want to make the credible information more visible. We want to make it more readily available. 
Um, we also want to give people the tools, you know, the content that they can use to immediately debunk something if they see it, you know, and they, so we, we want to make sure that they have access to the information because we know that works, right? There's growing body of evidence. It may not feel like it, Rob, <laughs> it may not feel like it works, right. but, but long-term and, and in the aggregate, it does work. So we want to give people the tools to do that. And the other thing is we tried to make it incredibly easy to, to join, right? So all you need to do is, is follow Science Up First on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, follow the feed, share the content. So that's really phase one, right? So we want people to share the, the content, the good content. And then, you know, phase two, we're going to get more targeted uh, initiative. But phase one, we really want people to do that. And by the way, the, the team, the steering committee is an incredible group of individuals, you know, epidemiologists, uh, public health experts, infectious disease experts, science communication experts. And, and the other thing I think is really important for the audience to know that this is an independent organization, right? We're not funded by industry. We, you know, we don't have direct ties to, to government. It really is uh, an independent body trying to, to share credible information. Back to the point about whether debunking works. And, you know, I mean, you, you've been involved specifically in studying this question. So it's not just, you, you know, your, your, your gut or your, you know, your, your sense that, that it's a good idea, that there's research to show it. Because it does feel as though, it does seem as though, and, and there's probably some truth to it, that, you know, a lot of misinformation, a lot of these kinds of views, especially when it comes to vaccines, and we've talked before about that, they become very entrenched. And, and there are those for whom, you know, exposure to good information, they almost retrench even further in, in their views, though. So there, there's this interesting concern about the backfire effect, mm-hmm. which I think you're kind of alluding to here. And, 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 and it, it became a very popular view, largely because of a couple of studies that came out around 2010 that suggested that this phenomenon happened, and it's exactly what you described, that, that if you uh, use facts, people just become more entrenched in their views, right? If you meet people with facts, they become more entrenched in their views, and, or, or that you just end up amplifying the misinformation of the conspiracy theory. Most of the research since 2010 uh, has not either, either not found a backfire effect to happen or found it to be rare and very context-specific. Mm-hmm. So my, my bottom-line message always is when we talk about the backfire effect is, is don't let it scare you away from, from debunking, from trying to counter misinformation. Of course, you have to do it the right way, right? You have to, it's, you know, just bombarding people with facts may not work. The, the content has to be relevant to people. It has to be shareable. And I also think, Robin, it's sometimes hard to do this. It has to be empathetic. It has to be nice. You know, I think it's, you know, I, you, you follow me on Twitter. You know, it's hard sometimes not to be snarky. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but I think it really is important to listen to people, hear what their concerns are, and provide them with information that matters. And the other thing I think is really important to, to note here is, is that most people aren't hardcore deniers, right? And I think the phenomenon you're talking about and, and, and why I think so many people think debunking doesn't work is it's, it's those hardcore deniers. They're very loud, and they're the individuals that are, it's very difficult to change their minds. Most people aren't like that, right? Most people are just trying to do the best they can. They want to be accurate. They, they want to do what's best for them and their family and their communities. And, and it's that movable middle, right? And, and we want to get the information to them, and we want to make sure that they're not being infected by the, the rhetoric from the hardcore deniers. Well, and maybe part of the problem, though, is, is that some misinformation or even conspiracy theories is maybe more accurate, that they're non-falsifiable. I mean, it's one thing to say the vaccine isn't real because you can 
map out the genome. Here it is. Here's what it looks like. And I, I think there are ways of, of you know, proving that that's false. But I think a lot of what's out there is nonsense, that it's, it's presented in such a way that it is almost non-falsifiable. Well, I, I think you're right. And now, not all of it's like that, right? So, like, let's look at some of the big ones with the vaccine that, you know, causes infertility. No, it doesn't, right? Uh, there's no evidence to suggest that that's the case, that it'll change your DNA. No, there's evidence, no evidence to suggest that, nor is that even really scientifically plausible given how, how the vaccine works. So there are, there are bits of misinformation that we can confront immediately with, with facts. There are other kinds of misinformation or, or questions that, that we can also answer, um, but maybe with, with, without the, you know, the, the same kind of certainty. Like they, if, if, uh, masks are a really good example, right? There was so much movement on the mask issue, and that's really about a body of evidence telling us, suggesting that masks are an effective strategy. But that can still be, we can still use science to, to, res, to respond to those kinds, of, uh, those kinds of questions. The ones that I think are really difficult is when it's about ideology and when it's about uh, a, a, a particular philosophy. And unfortunately, we're increasingly seeing that. So, for example, again, masks, anti-vax, a lot of the rhetoric around, around that is now framed as, as um, about choice, right, about liberty, about freedom, which can be very in, intuitively appealing. And research tells us, if that's your entry point into the community, it may be more difficult to change your mind, especially if you're new to the topic. You know, this is the first time you're hearing about it. Uh, you know, I'm for freedom. I'm for choice. I'm for liberty. And, and so those can be very intuitively appealing. So, Rob, what we need to do is get to the misinformation as soon as possible before it takes on that ideological spin. Well, and to that end, I mean, is it possible to quantify, you know, where, where there's more urgency in responding or, or which, you know, it's more important to debunk? If you took two out there theories like uh, A, you know, this, fact that this virus was created as a bioweapon versus B, the virus is a hoax. I mean, the, the latter has more real world practical consequences. Both are, are nonsense. Both probably need to be debunked. But in terms of how people respond on a day to day basis, you could argue that it's more important that people acknowledge that it's real as opposed to what, whatever its origins were. So that, there's an example there that do you, do you quantify or prioritize one over the other? You know, that's an excellent question, and our, and our initiative does want to do that. You know, we want to get a sense of what kind of bits of misinformation are trending, what kinds of bits of misinformation seem particularly problematic. For example, misinformation about the vaccine, right? You know, we, that's something that you clearly want to debunk very, very, very quickly and, and in a very targeted manner. But having said that, there, there, is, there is evidence that you, you need to tackle all of this. You know, for example, let me give you a really... A classic example, and that's the 5G technology myth, this idea that right. the, the pandemic was caused by 5G technology. We didn't take that seriously. I remember when it first started cir circulating, we kind of laughed. I kind of even laughed it off. You know, Woody Harrelson talking about this, the musician mm -hmm. MIA talking about this. Um, and it it took on a life of its own. And and then once it starts, to, it started becoming part of the story of particular communities, it becomes very difficult to debunk. The same thing happened with the Bill Gates uh, conspiracy theory, the idea that he started the pandemic to inject microchips in all of us, you know, completely absurd. Who would take that seriously? Well, if you believe some research, 28% of Americans believe that, right? And so the message there is take it all seriously, debunk it uh, in a way that is meaningful and credible before it takes on that kind of ideological spin or, or before it becomes important to an individual's identity. 
the other challenge too though with with uh and, and i think this is still a, a new virus and in in many respects that our, our understanding of it is is evolving and you know certain assumptions we had early on you know i think the, as experience continues here our experience with this virus we, we get a, a better or a different understanding about certain aspects i mean aerosol spread is one that you know they're different um different beliefs or different opinions on to what extent aerosol spread is a factor, how, how concerned we should be, what the research is telling us. So in, in areas where the science is maybe still evolving or, or uncertain, what kind of challenges does that pose? It, it does create challenges. And I referred to masks already, right? We saw that evolution of science. Yeah. And, and people will use that uncertainty, those who are trying to spread misinformation, to try to discredit um, not just the particular issue, but science more broadly. And we saw that happen with, with masks. We're seeing it happen with, with vaccines. And it's unfair in a number of ways because, of course, we know that's how science works, right? It, it evolves. Well, exactly. and, and you, that's absolutely what you want to see science-informed regulators do. You want them to adjust their recommendations on, on the best available science. But it raises a more, and I think that maybe this is where your question goes to, you know, how do you communicate uncertainty? Well, there's a very recent study, I believe it was out of Germany, that, that asked that question. And, and people want to hear about the uncertainty. And if you're honest about the uncertainty, you're more likely to build trust. Now, the literature around communicating um, uncertainty is actually very pretty complex. But I, my, my own intuition is that, that that study is correct. You know, we should be honest about the uncertainty, and I don't think it necessarily takes away from the message. You know, I think it, it, it allows the public to, see, to, to watch the science unfold. So let's be, let's be honest about the uncertainty, about what we do and don't know. But, but the reality is I sometimes think that we, I, I worry that we get caught up on, on the uncertain details because the core the core, we know what works, right? We know physical mm -hmm. distancing works. We know masks are effective. We know how you're supposed to behave when you have symptoms. And, and often I think that those who are trying to stoke doubt, you know, focus on these areas that where there is a degree of scientific uncertainty to cast uncertainty over the entire enterprise. Right. And yeah, that's what I was getting at. I mean, you know, honest science acknowledges uncertainty uh, and acknowledges, you know, when, when evidence takes us in a different direction. But, you know, I, I think people seize on that or deniers seize on that to say, aha, see, they don't know everything. And they, they, they try to use that, I think, to, to, to sow doubt. So maybe it gets back to the point you were making then about how to communicate uncertainty. You're right, and, and that's exactly what, what they do, and they've done it in other areas. You know, the vaccines is probably the best example, and we've seen that for decades, right? You know, uh, just trying to instill a degree of doubt. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it's, it's, a, it's, an effective, it's an effective strategy. Um, and I think one of the things that you want to do is you don't want to be dogmatic about a position that you know may change in the future, you know, where the science might evolve. You just be honest about the state of the science, and I still think you can be quite firm about what the recommendation is based on that uncertain science. But, but Rob, I go back to what I said earlier. For most of the stuff now, we, we've been with this, this pandemic for almost a year. We know that the basics is pretty solid. And the other thing is, is that goes with the vaccine, too. I mean, the science around the vaccines, this is landing on the moon stuff. I mean, incredibly, incredibly impressive. We, we have a really good sense of, of what's going on with these vaccines. Yes, there's details that are still emerging, and we have these new variants emerging, but we know these vaccines are effective, and we have already a lot of data on safety. Um, we shouldn't let these kind of details uh, distract us from, from the truth. 
Well, that's the thing, and I think that's where there's a challenge because we've got the the pandemic misinformation colliding with you know, the sort of anti-vaccine stuff that's been out there forever. I think, you know, as much as it creates an opportunity for us to really tackle this pandemic, it's such a huge challenge when it comes to countering misinformation now. It's huge, and and they're mobilized, and they're organized, and they and they use you know narratives, and they use documentaries, which I think is actually an, an underanalyzed form of misinformation. Um, they use they use Facebook groups. They're they're very effective of getting out the the misinformation. And to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons we thought we needed to start something like uh, Science Up Now. You know, we want to use those same kind of channels to push the good information. And I'll tell you, we rolled out yesterday and the response was unreal, right? It was just unreal. And, and there, I, I, I really got the sense that there was a hunger for this and that people recognized the need. And, and we do want to make it a movement. We want to make it a community. We want to make it something that sort of has a positive vibe to it. And, and, and I think that people are reacting to that. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. I do like this approach. Scienceupfirst.com uh, is the website. Much more there on this campaign and that hashtag, scienceupfirst. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thanks a lot, Rob. All right, take care. Uh, that's uh, Timothy Caulfield, uh, one of the co-founders uh, of the Science of First campaign. Uh, he's out of the University of Alberta, uh, research director of the Health Law Institute, Canada Research Chair in Health Law and Policy, and professor in both Faculty of Law and at the School of Public Health. So uh, a, an important voice, I think, in the campaign for science and countering misinformation, and I do hope this campaign succeeds. We'll take a break here. Plenty more to get to. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.